With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mama told me, son, go and play in the yard. Papa said, go and play, you gotta break your stomach, go and scream real hard. Go play in the yard. Go play in the yard. You gotta burn your stomach. And welcome to it Inside the Yard and a show today that will feature young Tyler Wells, the Rule 5 rookie who's getting better and better. And for our insider segment, Joe Trezza. But for now, you have Brett Hollander and Jeff Arnold, a couple of Warriors broadcasters through two months plus of the 2021 baseball season. And Jeff, I guess in this last week, we have to start with two players. Mountcastle, who wins Player of the Week, and Mullins, who's one of the best stories right now in baseball. Yeah, Ryan Mountcastle, I just think it's been so impressive what he's been able to do against right-handed pitching and how he's been able to stay on the fastball and especially what he's doing at the very beginning of counts. He's not getting too big with his swing. He's just got immense natural ability and talent. As long as he makes pitchers stay in the strike zone with him, he's extremely tough because his bat-to-ball skills are fantastic. And say the same thing about Cedric Mullins, who almost had uh, 10 hits in 10 at-bats. That streak ended at nine hits and nine at-bats tied for the second longest one in Orioles franchise history. I mean, the Cleveland Indians, I think they posted a tweet that said, you know, we're tired of Cedric Mullins. And uh, it was really cool to see not only what he did offensively, but don't forget all the great defensive plays that he made. You know, he made that incredible sliding catch on Nelson Cruz in the twin series, but then also take into account some of the plays that he made in the Indian series. And you were looking at somebody who we've talked about it on the air, Brett, to, to all of us is an all-star and I think should be starting the all-star game. I completely agree. I think it's kind of a, a really positive week for Orioles fans. If you think about how low it was for the few weeks prior you end the losing streak, you take back-to-back home series, but maybe even more importantly than that, the developments of Mountcastle and Mullins should make Orioles fans feel really good. I mean, just look at their age and the fact they're drafted and developed players and granted, Slumps will eventually come for those guys. It always does. But I don't know. I mean, I look at those two guys as players you can pencil in for the next few years and be pretty confident about what you're going to get. And that's a really positive step. I agree with you. And I I feel like with Cedric Mullins, this is unbelievable how far he's come in the last two years. And going from a player who was sent down to a couple of levels, you know, it wasn't just going down to AAA. It was going down to AA as well. Um, and being able to make the adjustments that he has and even forget, you know, last year that he went down to the alternate site at one stretch before coming back and doing really good things. And then same thing with, with Malcast. I mean, I think with, with Ryan, it, it comes down to continue to maybe get a little bit better playing left field and continue to work on his defensive stuff a little bit, but there's no doubt that these are guys that you can build around one who is going to sit at the, the top of the order and one that you feel like is going to sit in the middle of your order uh, for years to come. And that should make you really excited, especially when you, you face some of the lineups that you know you're going to be seeing in the American League East. I know the Yankees have underperformed this year, but the way that the Red Sox lineup has performed, the way that the Blue Jays lineup has performed, it, it makes you really excited to know that you have those two guys on your team. Yeah, I agree. Also, other good developments. I think we've seen a better Bruce Zimmerman recently. We've seen a pretty good Keegan Aiken. 
And then out of the bullpen, Tanner Scott looks like he's returned for now to the 2020 version of himself. And also you get Hunter Harvey back. And our next guest, Tyler Wells, Jeff, he's an intriguing guy. I mean, he throws really hard. He obviously looks the part and how he's built and he's getting better and better. Yeah, I think he's starting to showcase, you know, where he can command all his secondary stuff a little bit better. And I think at the very beginning of the year, you saw that he was willing to be aggressive inside the strike zone. And he had the sense that he belongs there, which Brandon Hyde will tell you is half the battle, especially when you're a rule five pick and you haven't pitched above double A and you really haven't spent that much time at double A, let's be honest. But he really, I think, is doing a better job of commanding those secondary pitches and especially that changeup, which I think has an opportunity to be a, a big time pitch for him and help him out against left handed batters. And and when you're talking about a multi-inning relief pitcher that can throw, and you saw him throw three innings the other day against the Minnesota Twins, you need to have a pitch like that. Uh, you need to have a couple of breaking balls that you can use to get hitters out. And, you know, between that, his slider, changeup, you know, how far it's come. He's got a couple different weapons, and he's got a really good fastball, too. be interested to see if they put him in the rotation at some point. But uh, for now, it's been fun to watch him uh, pitch multiple innings out of the bullpen. Um, and hopefully as the year goes on and he continues to put hopefully more outings together like he did against Minnesota, that he's going to be using some some more higher leverage spots and, and they're going to see what they fully have in him. All right, let's get to it. Let's get to know Tyler Welch here on Inside the Yard. experience an O's game with the convenience and privacy of your own suite. A variety of affordable single-game suites throughout the ballpark are available. Enjoy exclusive access to the game with climate-controlled interior seating, a private restroom, and comfortable outside seating. Visit Orioles.com slash suites for more information. With us right now is Orioles rookie right-hander, Big Tyler Wells. And Tyler, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Excited to be here. Well, it feels like ancient history when you showed up in Sarasota, Florida in February, and you had to earn a spot on the team. You did that as a rule five guy. And then you pitch early in the season and you're getting your feet wet. You held your own, but now it's kind of turned into something different. I mean, you really look like, you know, what you're doing out there. Kind of take us through these last three or four months of your life. I mean, it's certainly been crazy. Um, the best way to put it is there's been so many learning experiences along the way after not pitching for two years and then actually coming into uh, big league spring training, it's been, there were a lot of things that I feel like I forgot how to do on a baseball field. And then as I've continued to play, I've gotten a lot more comfortable out there on the mound. And especially uh, as of recent, um, my mentality has gotten a lot better. I'm starting to learn a lot more about myself, uh, about the mentality I need to have going into the game and being able to actually execute pitches. And, you know, I feel like I've done that very well. So uh, there's a lot of people to thank for that um, with Darren Holmes, Chris Holt, uh, Hyde. I mean, some of the players too, like Armstrong, Plutko. Uh, Matt Harvey, a lot of those veteran guys that have been around the league for a while, they took me under their wing and they taught me a lot. Uh, Wade LeBlanc was also another one um, towards the beginning of the season. So I'm really thankful for those guys. And they've really helped me uh, shape myself kind of going into uh, this year. What's something that you forgot? 
honestly, it was how to remain calm and kind of not trying to amp myself up. Uh, you know, I found that out real fast. Um, whenever I get too amped up, I don't execute pitches. So whenever I go in there and I, I'm calm, cool, collected, but I'm aggressive in where I'm attacking is whenever I'm at my best. And so that's kind of where, uh, especially the past couple outings, my mentality has really kind of switched back into that and going out there, knowing that I have the situation under control. Now it's time to go to work, execute the pitches, get these guys out and put up zeros on the board. Tyler, going back to spring training, you had a really, really good spring, but here's a, a young pitcher who hadn't pitched in a few years, had only made a handful of double A starts. He did not, did not pitch in triple A. Did you think you can make the team and, and break with the club? Oh yeah. I mean, you know, I've never doubted myself, uh, you know, these last couple of years on the fact that I could be in the big leagues. And I think that whether I was with the twins or with the Orioles, I think that I'm competing, I'm competing for a spot either way. And that isn't me trying to, you know, kind of toot my own horn. I just, I know that I can compete and I know that one of the best things that I can ever do is be confident in myself, because if I'm not confident in myself, then it's really hard for myself to go out there and then compete against people like, the Giancarlo stands, the Aaron judges. I mean, the AL East is already hard enough. Don't make it harder on yourself by not believing in what you're doing. And so going into it, I really wanted to be confident in myself. And I really told myself, you belong here, earn your spot. And that's exactly what I did. And I worked really hard for it throughout the course of uh, like my rehab I always told myself, it's like, you know, you got to prepare yourself for when that day comes, because the more that you prepare yourself, the easier it's going to be to transition. And, you know, it, and I've said this before, it, that first outing I had against the Red Sox, it's really difficult to actually kind of prepare yourself for your first outing in the big leagues. So, you know, I'm running out there and I lose feeling in my feet. You know, I just don't know what's going on. Um, you know, but after that, you kind of start, like you said, getting situated, get more comfortable and that's exactly what happened. I've always tried to mentally prepare myself for this because this is what I've wanted to do since I was five years old. What do you do to control your adrenaline when you're coming out of the bullpen? Because there is a certain high that you achieve when you're coming out of the pen, you're getting ready to come into the game, and you're expected to just immediately get into the strike zone and start attacking hitters. Uh, just breathe. I mean, you know, it's, it's the easiest way for me to kind of put it um, you know, I, there's a lot of times where you'll see me on the mound and apparently I got one, one face that people love and they think that I'm about ready to kill somebody, but I'm not, it's just, it's me super focused. So I focus in on my breathing. I take a lot of deep breaths and you'll see that before every pitch. Um, I take a deep breath, I get out there and I'm like, all right, it's time to go. And, you know, that's, that's the easiest way to put it. There's a few other things that kind of go through my mind every once in a while, depending upon the situation, but the more I breathe, the easier it kind of, it kind of becomes to settle my adrenaline to a, to a level of where it's like, I can use it to my advantage. Yeah. It's interesting. You mentioned that scowl. I've heard a few players talk about it, but for you, you're now coming out of the bullpen. You've been a starter your entire professional career, but I think a lot of us see you and say it kind of looks right out of the bullpen. Do you care either way which way your career goes at this point? Do you want the opportunity to start 
or you kind of enjoying life in the bullpen and, and perhaps one day be a back-end reliever? I mean, I'm here in the big leagues. I'm still pursuing a dream. Um, there's a lot of goals that I still have here in the big leagues, but I, I really don't care either way. I think that there's a lot of great things about starting. I think there's a lot of great things about uh, being in the bullpen. And I will say, I will say this, starting out in the bullpen to start my career is one of the best things that's ever happened to me because there isn't a lot of time for you to, whenever that phone rings and you have to get ready, you don't have time to think it's go. And so I think that that eliminates a lot of the expectation or, you know, it, it really just allows you to kind of just go out there and pitch. But again, whenever, like we were talking about earlier, that adrenaline, like being able to tame that adrenaline with that go, go, go mentality, I think is where I'm finding that uh, sweet spot right now. So I would say that either one is absolutely okay with me. Um, you know, right now I'm, I'm just, I'm focused on being the best bullpen guy that I can be. And then hopefully as the season continues to go on, hopefully I'm, uh, I'm able to actually get into some higher leverage situations and, you know, help the team win a lot more games. If you're going to start or if you're going to pitch multiple innings out of the bullpen, you need to probably have more than just two pitches. Um, so you've really worked to improve your changeup. Um, tell us about Tom Hackermer and what he did to help you get your changeup into the spot where it is now. Man, so me and Tom, uh, we've lived together on multiple occasions. We lived in uh, lived together in uh, uh, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and we talked a lot then. We got pretty close. And um, coming into 2020 spring training, uh, he asked if I wanted to live with him in an apartment. I was like, yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, amidst the pandemic stuff, he decided not to go back home to New York. Uh, I decided to stay in Florida and continue like doing my own rehab. And he is a, he's a big, um, very analytical guy loves to do the, uh, the slow motion videos. He loves pitch design. We talked quite a bit about that. So, he was my catch play partner. And if it wasn't for him, like, I don't know how my rehab would have gone because I played catch with him every single day. And he was always there to act, to help me and uh, anything that I needed. He always looked at my mechanics, anything that he saw that was kind of out of whack, he would let me know, or, you know, same thing with the pitches. So his constant feedback, his uh, watching video, um, you know, just all, all, combination of multiple things really, really helped me. So a lot of it was just repetition with him and he watched it. He helped me. We would sit in our apartment, we would look at it and he would just be like, Oh, you should try this. You should try that. And there was a lot of trial and error. Um, but you know, me and him, me and him got real close over the uh, course of the quarantine. And, you know, I, I would say a lot of that change up has to do with him and really helping me out. Tyler, tell us about life growing up in California for you and, and baseball and just your life in general. If I'm not mistaken, uh, you're from Southern California, uh, maybe a little east of Los Angeles, correct? So <laughs> this is funny because for whatever reason, MLB always gets it wrong because I'm actually not from California. I'm from, I was born and raised in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's, I did see Tulsa, but for baseball reference says, uh, SoCal. 
Yeah. Well, that's because that's where I finished high school at. And gotcha. so, and that's that was where graduating high school. Yeah. So I was actually born and raised in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. I lived there for 13 years of my life. Then I moved to Morgantown, West Virginia in WVU where John Means went. Um, I'm not sure if, I'm not sure if he was there while I was there at all, but, um, and then whenever I finished, I've halfway through my junior year of high school, I moved to Yucaipa, California. Um, so there were a few turning points in my baseball career. Um, and I would say some significant ones happened in Morgantown, West Virginia. Um, so in Morgantown, uh, there were two guys that, or three guys that were, uh, big influences on me. Uh, one of them was, uh, Ernie Galuski who ran a, uh, the baseball facility called pro performance in Morgantown, West Virginia. Well, two of the guys that worked out there was Jed Jerko and David Carpenter. And so I, uh, I got, you know, close with them. I talked to them quite a bit and David Carpenter was a big mentor for me for a while. And then uh, once we moved to Southern California, um, he stayed in contact and, you know, we, he helped me out uh, kind of getting my mentality right. So once I moved to Southern California, I got the opportunity um, my junior year to play on the junior varsity team. And I did really well, got my feet wet in California, made some friends because baseball was a huge friend thing for me because I had moved around so much. Um, so my senior year uh, that fall, I got the opportunity to uh, try out for the Kansas City Royals uh, scout team in Southern California. And, um, you know, I went out there, I got a few colleges looking at me, and then that's whenever I actually got my uh, scholarship to uh, Cal State San Bernardino. So there, there were a lot of turning points there. Um, you know, it's, it's, it was a crazy wild up and down ride. Um, but at Cal State San Bernardino, uh, another big turning point for me were the coaches who were really, really hard on me because uh, it, was a, it was a lot of tough love. And that's exactly what I needed. And I think that's really kind of what formed me into the player I am today and knowing that, you know, you always have to push yourself and you can never be complacent with where you're at. And that's exactly what they did for me and instilled that in me. So, um, and then once I got into pro ball, it was Latroy Hawkins, who was the big one for me. And he took me under his wing and it was, I was actually fortunate enough to see him when we went to Minnesota and I got to talk to him briefly. And after that, I mean, it's just been, it's been good. And, you know, I'm really, really thankful for all those people. Did uh, Latroy give you any tough love when you were with the twins? And what are some of the things that he told you? Oof. That guy, he's full of tough love. He, uh, he, so in 2017, um, you know, I, I was poor diet, like first, first full season in pro ball, poor diet, just eating like crap, gaining weight. Um, I had a bicep tendonitis injury. I just wasn't treating my body right. And, you know, Latroy was in town at the time and he told me, he watched me pitch and he goes, dude, like, he's like, you have the stuff. He's like, but you don't have the body. You don't have the mind, the mindset right now. He's like, and so this was towards the end of season. And he told me, he's like, whenever I see you in spring training, he's like, I want to see, I want to see who you really want to be. And so, um, 
and I, I was going through a bunch of different stuff as far as like dietary changes, trying to figure out what worked for me, what didn't, and trying to get on a good workout program that really worked uh, for me as well. And so I finally found something that stuck and I ended up losing probably 50 pounds um, in about like two to three months. And I came into spring training and they thought like something was like wrong whenever they saw me because I had lost so much weight. And, but, you know, LaTroy saw me and he was like, that's what I'm talking about. And yeah, cause I'll never forget that because that was kind of like, that was kind of like the, oh yeah. I was like, I can do this now. And so confidence continued to build. And then pretty much ever since that moment in 2018 spring training, it's just been continually building ever since. All right, Tyler, it's time for our fun five baseball questions. Are you ready? All right, let's hear. What is your favorite baseball movie? Ooh, favorite baseball movie. I don't know. I've always liked rookie of the year. <laughs> uh, high school, senior year, ERA. Uh, point two eight. I think point two eight. Yes, point two eight. So what'd you allow? Like two runs? Uh, I, I threw 24.2 innings and I don't remember how many runs that was. Uh, we've touched on a few of these, but you can elaborate some more. The most influential baseball person in your life. Uh, LaTroy Hawkins. He, uh, uh, in Dave Coggin, Dave Coggins, another one. Uh, those two are right up there with, um, with each other because, uh, LaTroy, while I trained with Dave Coggin in the offseason, uh, former big leaguer himself with the Philadelphia Phillies, um, you know, while I'm not training with him in the offseason, during season, Detroit was a huge influence for me and kept me on track. And then Dave Coggin in the offseason really kind of helped me with uh, some mechanical stuff. He really helped me with a lot of mental stuff and keeping everything super simple. And, um, you know, both of those guys are the primary reasons of where I am today. Favorite minor league city to play or visit in? Ooh, favorite minor league city to uh, play and visit in. You know, I really, I really liked uh, Chattanooga as far as the city goes, but as far as the best stadium that I've played in, ooh, that, that one's a tough one. I really like the atmosphere in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Very cool. And name one talent or hobby you have outside of baseball. Um, well, other than golf, I mean, I feel like that's a pretty typical one for most baseball players. It seems to be uh, true. I, yeah. What's your handicap? Uh, you know, I would say it probably hovers between like, I would say it hovers around 10. My little brother, my little brother uh, is a, uh, he's a scratch golfer. So now anyway, so he's, he's really good. But I would say my other hobby other than golf is actually uh, photography and like uh, video stuff, video editing and all that. I enjoy doing that in the off season, uh, like whenever I go on hikes and different kinds of trips and such. Very cool. Well, Tyler Wells, you're off to a great start in your big league career. We've enjoyed watching you and best of luck and health the rest of the way. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you very much. Get all of 
best Orioles ticket deals in one place, including single game tickets, ticket packs, special offers, and more. We got you covered at the Orioles Ticket Marketplace. This is your place to score exclusive deals, so check back often for the latest opportunities. Don't wait to purchase last minute at the box office. Ticket prices are the same at Orioles.com slash tickets to purchase. Joe Trezza, Orioles beat writer for MLB.com and Orioles.com is with us right now for our insider segment. Joe, thank you so much for coming on. We just had on Tyler Wells. And to me, he's become a more intriguing player. Someone who started as a rule five guy, maybe he could give you some length out of the bullpen, but he's gotten better and better. You can see it in the stuff and in the results. Where do you see his future, both in the near term and long term? Yeah, I agree with you. I think he's a guy the Orioles are happy that they took a long look at. Um, and I think the the upside is there, especially with, with the swing and miss. Um, you know, he's got... I think 31 strikeouts over his first 25 big league innings, you know, it's, that's pretty good for a guy who's never pitched above double, uh, above double a before this year coming off two Tommy John surgeries um, and the velocities in the upper nineties. And he's got some um, secondary pitches that seem to be improving with a little more experience. You know, he's, he's been a guy early on who's been a little susceptible to the long ball. And, and that's why he's had a few kind of blow up innings, but if you take those home runs away, I mean, the results are pretty, pretty encouraging. And they're always really the result of just like one bad pitch. So um, I think there's a lot of room to grow for a guy like Tyler Wells. And I think you see Brandon Hyde kind of uh, trusting him a little more, not so much in necessarily just mop up duty or, or, or meaningless innings, but um, he's a guy who can miss bats and the Orioles, you know, they've struggled in the pen in, in that department at times this year. Um, and I think there's there's opportunity for him to maybe, you know, grow into a setup role this year if, if, if he keeps pitching the way that he does. And um, I think he's somebody that the Orioles are, are probably going to hold on to. Staying with pitching right now, John Meese <laughs> was placed on the injury list on Sunday. What's your level of concern um, as he goes through this uh, left shoulder strain? Well, I, I think it's it's minimal, I would say. I mean, it's always kind of a concern when when a pitcher has has an arm issue and um you know, it comes against the backdrop of his no hitter on May 5th, which he, during which he threw a career high 113 pitches. He saw the Orioles really try to be kind of careful with him after that to avoid these kinds of wear and tear issues, knowing that he's had them in the past, right? He's been on the injured list four times now for basically the same thing in, in three years, twice in 2019 and once to start 2020. So this is something he deals with, you know, to hear him talk about it, it doesn't necessarily sound all that serious. And uh, the MRI results were certainly encouraging, but I also don't think the Orioles are in a position to rush him in any way, um, especially given uh, the value that he presents now to them, not only atop the rotation, but as a possible trade chip uh, going forward, or even as a long-term piece, as Michael Elias has alluded to. Um, you know, if he really is, like Michael Elias says, the, 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 one of the playoff starters, future playoff starters on this, on this team, um, then I think the Orioles are going to be as careful as possible with him and and that means with an, with an injury like this, it really just means rest. Um, so, look, I think best case scenario um, for the Orioles is that he's back by the end of June. They're going to shut him down for seven to ten days, uh, maybe send him on a rehab start after that. Uh, if there are no issues, you know, by the end of June at the very latest by the All-Star break. I think if this issue lingers past that, um, then I think there may be a little more cause for concern. But right now, I think, um, you know, the news is as good as it, as it possibly could be given uh, the results of the imaging uh, that John Means underwent this weekend. Joe, the week that Ryan Mountcastle had player of the week in the American League, and really, he actually did have a better May. April is really bad. 
better May trending upward, but what could what he couldn't get past was his struggles against right-handed pitching. Left-handed pitching was pretty much the player we saw last year, but his dominant week almost came exclusively against right-handed pitching, which would say to me, here's a young guy who's kind of feeling it out and finding himself. And you look at his overall trajectory, I think it's something Orioles fans can get pretty excited about right now. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the issues with Ryan early on were really, really approach-based. Um, you know, there were a lot of, lot of swing and miss, um, not a lot of walks, um, a lot of uh, chasing balls outside the strike zone, especially in hitters counts, which I know the Orioles want to clean up. A lot of inconsistency in that area. But you, you saw this week and, and even the week prior, uh, the reason that the Orioles were so steadfast in letting him kind of work through these issues at the big league level, because um, it, it's because of the upside and more specifically, just his elite ability to impact the baseball. Um, I believe one of his home runs this weekend, 447 feet and 114 mile an hour exit velocity, I think. I, I went back and looked, and it's the second hardest ball hit by any Oriole uh, during the rebuild. Only Renato Nudez had one that was, I think, 0.4 miles per hour harder or something like that. And that, those are just batted ball results that you just don't see from um, – from players who aren't elite prospects. And, and that's, and that's why Ryan Mountcastle is an elite prospect. And that's why they think there's so much upside there and room to grow and um, you know, leeway when it comes to kind of working out these approach issues. Do I always, I think he might always be kind of a streaky hitter because of those approach issues. That's just, he's very aggressive. That's the way he hits. Um, but you can tell that when he's locked in, he looks like a completely different player than when he's not. And, you know, maybe, when he is who he's going to be, there are some peaks and valleys um, in that way. Maybe he's not a guy who hits 320 or 310, but I don't think that's really what the Orioles expected uh, him to be anyway. He's going to be a masher. And, um, you know, this week he, he really mashed. And, and you could see how um, his ability to hit the, hit the baseball hard and impact it is kind of different from a lot of these guys that we've seen uh, over the past few years, maybe go on some hot streaks and then be inconsistent with production. Um, and, he's, and that's why he's going to get a longer rope um, than a lot of the the other guys have. What was it like watching Cedric Mullins over the last week? Because he has an incredible sliding catch against the Twins, and then against the Indians, nine hits and nine at bats. He reaches, I think, in ten plate appearances in a row when he had those couple of walks that you throw in there too. What what about Cedric Mullins? I mean, has has impressed you the most this year? I think it was like watching Willie Mays for a weekend. Um, you know, his entire weekend was a highlight reel. Um, it was it was extremely impressive in every in every sense. Um, what what I was what I'm impressed with most is the power. I think because um, you know he looks like a guy right now who could finish the year with 20, 25 homers, and I don't know if that was what anybody expected uh, from Cedric Mullins. I always you know I thought everyone thought it at his best. He's a guy who can get on base. He can steal some bases for you. He can lay down a bunt. Play really good defense. Um, you know, do a lot of intangibles, do a lot of different things well, but the power has really made him into one of the more elite players in the American League during the first half. Um, you know, he leads the league in hits, and he's got eight homers, and he has some of the furthest home runs of the Orioles season. He had he had the furthest homer of the Orioles season last year, um, and also a few of the, the the hardest hit homers too. So the underlying metrics uh, show that this this really isn't fluky what he's doing. Um, but I, I haven't seen somebody this locked in, um, you know, during the Orioles rebuild at all, an, an offensive player for, for a protracted stretch. Um, and this weekend, I think, was a showcase of what Cedric Mullins can do at his best. And, um, you know, an example of just a guy who's just super locked in and just red scorching hot right now. 
to me, Joe, it's almost like making a big trade or acquisition where you add a 26, 27-year-old entering his prime years because assuming for a second he's some version of the guy we've seen the first two-plus months of this year, in February or March when spring training began, the question was could he make the team as a fourth outfielder in some sort of rotation in the outfield or center field? And now maybe the Orioles have their center fielder and leadoff hitter for the next five years. I mean, what a difference that is. Someone who was, you know, washed away in double A a few years ago, sent back down last year, just last year in the beginning of the shortened season, because you couldn't get a base hit. It's like making a big play. I mean, it's like you added something. I, I agree with you. And I think that if you do that for a few guys, you can, you can start to project this roster out, um, you know, one or two or three years down the road in ways that you couldn't really do last year. And you definitely couldn't do in 2019. You know, it looks like if there's, if this is, if Cedric Mullins is some version of this, like you said, the Orioles might have their leadoff hitter and center fielder. They have Trey Mancini at first base and their cleanup hitter. They might have Ryan, Mike, uh, Ryan Mountcastle as a middle of the order bat and John means, as a potential ace. Now, you know, th those are pieces right there. Those are foundations. Those are building blocks. And then you could supplement a roster around that and suddenly, you know, in a pretty short amount of time, have a pretty, pretty good and complete team. Um, so I think that's a big takeaway from what Cedric is doing. Um, and I think it'll be really interesting to see if the Orioles start to identify him as a long-term piece or as somebody that they can sell high, you know, given that this, this success has really only been you know, kind of a short-term thing. Like you said, his, his history has been very checkered, very up and down career up until this point. I don't think anybody really saw this coming. Now it's a great thing that it's happening for them, but I wonder how they evaluate it. And, and, and I don't know if they're going to make that decision um, in a knee-jerk reaction. I think they're a big sample size team. You know, they want to see if, if there is, you know, if, if, this, if these results are real and if this is the player that he's become. And if he has, I think it's a giant coup uh, for their rebuilding plan. Last one for me, Joe. Cedric Mullins is playing like an all-star. Trey Mancini is playing like an all-star. John Means is throwing a no-hitter, and he's been one of the best pitchers in baseball so far. Realistically, can the Orioles get three all-stars this year? I, I think it's going to be tough. I think there, this is a situation where somebody's probably going to get snubbed because that's just kind of always how it is with a team that's not um, competing. You know, first-place teams, big-market teams get a lot of all-stars, and um, – but th what they do have on their side is, in a strange way, this John Means injury might open the door uh, for him to make the team and maybe somebody else replace him. And um, I think if they're all healthy, I think you probably have two out of the three. Um, if John Means is, is not healthy, then maybe he makes the team and there's a replacement for him. And suddenly there's room for Trey Mancini and Cedric Mullins. But I think it'll be a tough decision between the position players because Trey has been so productive and his story is so inspiring. And it, he's had such global appeal, um, you know, not even just this year, but before that and throughout the cancer thing, uh, that it's going to be kind of tough for somebody to, to up, upseat him, I guess you could say. Um, but Cedric Mullins is making a great case. He's not just having a great year. He's leading the league in hits. He's one of the top three players in the American League by wins above replacement. Um, you know, he's making a legitimate down-ballot MVP can, uh, case for himself over the first half. So, um unfortunately some of this stuff might also boil down to position it's like a really deep class in the american league for first base and a really deep class for dh and obviously outfield is where some of the most talented players in the sport play so um you know it might just be a numbers game with those two i don't really know how it's going to shake out but uh the fans can you know kind of uh, kind of do their part uh, to to make that decision uh, i don't think they've released any of the voting yet but i think that first voting tally 
uh, is going to be re- really indicative to how this this all shakes out. It's going to be interesting. Joe Trezza, MLB.com, Orioles.com. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Fun show inside the yard. Great hearing from Joe Trezza. Jeff, great hearing from Tyler Wells. It's going to be really interesting to see where his career goes from here because I've talked to some people. They see back-end reliever, and then you see a big guy, 6'8", with a couple of pitches, and you're like, well, why can't he be a starter? Yeah, especially when that changeup has become really good, helps him get lefties out. You got the slider, helps him get righties out, and then you got a fastball that, that really plays in the strike zone, and so that's been great to see. And you're starting to maybe – Notice some of the the one pitch mistakes. Usually they were home runs begin to go down. I think I think that's been encouraging to see as well. But I figure at some point he's going to get a chance to start because as we have seen, you know, as the year goes along, you're going to need a starter at some point. And at some juncture, in all likelihood, you're not going to have somebody available at, at AAA or maybe somebody on the 40 man roster who you can just plug in and who whose schedule fits into where the Orioles are in their season. So I think he's going to get an opportunity to start and the O's uh, might have a chance to see what he has. I think that they owe it to themselves and and to do their due diligence and, and to see if this is maybe a role that he can fit into. But if he's a back end relief option, I don't think that's really that bad either, given how hard he throws the stuff that he has. No, he, he can get lefties out. He can get righties out. Um, there's always going to be, because he's a fly ball pitcher, there was always going to be that home run element to, to what he does. But in terms of pure stuff and his ability to pitch multiple innings, that's extremely valuable. And, you know, he very well could be a, a back-end bullpen piece at some point. I, I'm not really sure how, how he ends up, um, but, but based on what he's doing, I wouldn't be surprised um, as he continues to, to progress and moves along and as the stuff gets better, as he gets more comfortable. And he talked about mentality changes that he's made and how – you know, he uses his breathing to, to make sure he doesn't get too amped up when he's out on the mound. As he gets more appearances under his belt, I think he's only going to be better. Yeah, he looks a lot better pretty much every time out at this point. And then we have to make mention of this. Baseball America announced on Monday that their top pitching prospect in all of baseball is Grayson Rodriguez, the 2018 first-round pick by Baltimore, who quickly moved past A-ball to a double-A buoy. And, you know, his numbers throughout his minor league career have been amazing. Uh, but he's averaging like 14 and a half strikeouts per nine right now between Aberdeen and, and a short sample size in Bowie. But uh, really exciting, especially when you pair him with someone like D.L. Hall and then other guys who are making a lot of noise right now, like Blaine Knight and Kyle Bradish. And it's not just those two, but those two are the headliners. Plus, you have the number one catching prospect in baseball and Adley Rutschman and yeah, that's really exciting for a farm system that's continued to be on the rise, and it's only going to get better when you look at the Orioles having the number five overall pick in this year's draft. It'll be interesting to see how Mike Elias and um, the rest of his uh, scouting group decides to uh, approach that pick. But, you know, Grace Rodriguez's fastball velocity, I think I saw maybe his first strikeout at double A was up to 100 miles an hour. And this is a pitcher that, you know, had good stuff before, but like, you know, he's continued to ramp it up. And, Know, blowing hitters away and just watching some of the video and, and some of the highlights of how he's pitched and the stuff that he has makes you really excited about this guy is a hopefully frontline starting pitcher for you along with D.L. Hall and John Means and you know, that's a that's a nasty group that, that you're going to have and then 
Uh, you consider some of the other pitchers as well. I mean, Kyle Bradish has been a great story this year. The way he started at Bowie, moved up to AAA, and um, and then there's there's more talent below that as well, and, and more talent spread out in between. So uh, being able to have talented pitching in the in the minor leagues who can maybe help you out someday, um, it's it's been encouraging to watch those guys develop. No question about that. And you can celebrate your growing family or the newest O's fan in your life with a Baby Birds membership presented by MedStar Health. Members receive an Orioles bib and onesie as well as access to special offers. If your little O's fan was born at Harbor Hospital or Franklin Square Medical Center, you can access your complimentary membership using the code received with your Orioles beanie. Visit Orioles.com slash babybirds for more information. Well, fun episode of Inside the Art. Big thank you to our producer extraordinaire, Kara. Jeff, I'll see you at the yard. For Jeff Arnold, I'm Brett Hollander. Thanks for being with us here on Inside the Art. 